Thank you, Frank and, and Gerald, for that medley, reminding us of all the songs that we're growing up with and, and all the traditions in Christmas. I know, uh, thinking back myself, you probably all are thinking about how you came to know Christ, or if you have come to know Christ even. And, and I, I look back at myself, and as I've shared many times uh, over the last couple of years, Rita and I came to Christ through radio preaching, and uh, we weren't going to church at the time, and we were listening in our cars, and, and in particular, one gentleman caught my ear over a period of time named Woodrow Kroll, used to be on the radio with a ministry called Talk to the, uh, Back to the Bible, and I would hear him teach about things I had never considered. I had, I, it seemed like I had heard them for the first time because the Holy Spirit was working on my heart, though I know I'd heard them in the past but never believed them, and, and part of what was transformational in, in my uh, heart was a particular message by him on the radio one morning on the way to work about Moses having parted the Red Sea. And, and I had never considered or believed that Moses had actually parted the Red Sea. And yet, with power and conviction, and, and with, the, with the, the sovereign hand of the Holy Spirit, God revealed to my heart that truth that Moses led Israel out of Egypt and passed through the water. That's a historical fact. And, and that changed my whole uh, picture of everything in the Bible. Picture of everything. That, that this is truly a, 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 a document, uh, a series of documents in the Bible with integrity. And that truth changed my heart. Uh, I don't have a specific text today, but I'm hoping that, that one more truth that, that you'll ponder it, and you'll, you'll think into your head about this, because a lot of people in America don't really consider uh, this on a world scale, the impact of Christ and the need for Christ, and, and this doctrine that I'm uh, wanting us to consider is called exclusivity. I hope that you learn more about that uh, as we progress through here and through this, uh, through this day. Uh, if you identify yourself as a Christian, which many of you do, uh, likely at one time or another, you've received a card, a Christmas card. In fact, I've received this card this year. It, it is a card with a bunch of names of, of Jesus on it in smaller letters. And in, in the center of the card, in, in big letters, is Jesus. And around the perimeter of, of the card, you see King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords and, and Prince of Peace and, and all these different names. You've probably received a variation of this card at one time or another. And, and written in large print, as I said, is Jesus, the name of Jesus. And, and the others include all these names that at some point in the Bible, you will come across as referring to Christ himself. Descriptions of him, titles of him. His proper name, however, is Jesus. Jesus is our English form of Yeshua, the Hebrew Yeshua, or Joshua sometimes we say the name Joshua. Jesus in Hebrew means the Lord saves. 
That's the meaning of his name. Or, or another uh, uh, transliteration or translation would, would say, the Lord is salvation, but the Lord saves. That is the name that the angel told Joseph to give to the child that the virgin girl named Mary was carrying in her womb. That's the name. And as read to you earlier, uh, from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel told Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. And it might be a little bit of a surprise to you uh, if you're visiting today or or even been here for a while. uh, This name Jesus or Yeshua, it it was not a rare name at all in Israel, in ancient Israel. Actually, the name was was quite common. Quite common, the name Jesus, uh, Joshua. Many male children in Israel were named Jesus. As they looked forward to that day that the Messiah would come, the Jewish Messiah would come, who would purify God's people and would relieve the oppression that Israel was under. That he would be the deliverer that would free them from oppression of their enemies. So it's not all that shocking as as you watch the news and other things that every five years or so, you're going to come across a a discovery by archaeologists of a new crypt or a new tomb that has an inscription on it with the name Jesus, right? Comes every so often. It's not that rare. Many boys name, uh, the name of many boys in, in Israel was Jesus. All these boys named Joshua, Jesus. Every single one of them died. Every single one of them left remains buried somewhere. Except one. Except one. But there were lots of Jesuses. That's probably not proper pronunciation there. But for us who celebrate the birth of this one particular Jesus, this Jesus, from some 2,000 years after his birth, the fact that we're even here today has got to indicate something really significant, folks. Really significant because there's a really big deal about this Jesus. This one Jesus. Perhaps you haven't spent a lot of time considering this. But, but why does the holiday or, or holy day, well, why does this holiday of Christmas, why does it even exist? Why does it even exist at all? Why would people in countries from all across the world, nearly in, in every country in the world for centuries upon centuries celebrate the birth of this one child one particular child over and over again that that's a striking question 2000 years and you might not realize this but as we peruse the malls and we run up our credit card debt and do all those things that we do at christmas decorate feast Fill our refrigerators, share time together as we do all of these things in America that are peculiar to us, these traditions. Jesus is celebrated everywhere. He's celebrated everywhere. This, this isn't something just for America. It's not peculiar only to America, not reserved only to us who are sitting here today. 
the birth of Jesus, it, it's celebrated on every continent. Nearly in, in every country in some way, shape, or form. They celebrate the name of Jesus. So, so what I, I'm wanting to emphasize here to us is this Christmas thing, this, this, this time that we celebrate the birth of Christ and we refer to it as Christmas, um, it's not exclusively an American thing. We get fooled into that sometimes that we think, well, this is what we do in America. This, this is our American thing. Certainly, you know, we have those traditions that are peculiar to us. Some of them very peculiar, actually. But, but we come together to rejoice in the birth of Christ. Historically, as Jesus was resurrected from the grave and about 47 days later at Pentecost when, when the church was founded at the preaching of Peter and at the, uh, at the unleashing of the Holy Spirit upon the people, at that time there were no believers in Christ, no believers in the name of Jesus here in America. This, this land that we call America, there, there wasn't even one. There weren't any in the United States. There were no Christians in America 2,000 years ago celebrating the birth of Christ. So, so Christmas, or this, this Christian celebration that we call Christmas, it's not, it never has been an American thing. You get where I'm coming from? It's not an American thing. Don't, don't listen, folks, to that, that sociology professor I remember from college. Offended because Americans keep pushing this Christian thing on all the other countries of the world. That's a farce. That is a farce. We aren't pushing Christianity around the globe. That isn't even close to what's occurred at all. Christianity has already made its way around the globe a couple times around or more. At least most of the globe, with a few exceptions, obviously remote tribes, remote areas. And this is the reason that we keep doing foreign missions. We keep sending out the word of Christ by foreign missions. That is, by the way, how Christianity ended up right here. Right here in America. It was brought by missionaries, through missions. And the new news of a, of a Savior, the one that is born in Bethlehem, it continues to circumvent the entire earth. Why is that? Why is the news of this birth, of this child, why is it so transformative of people? Why is it so influential wherever the word about him is preached? I mean, let's face it, when you, when you really look at it, the, the origin of Christianity, where it all started, it didn't come from Dallas, Texas. That's not where it originated the news of the birth of a Savior originated from a tiny little Jewish town. Bethlehem, south side of Jerusalem. Tiny town. Just as predicted over 700 years earlier through the prophet of God named Micah. Listen to this. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me 
to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth, or his origins, are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Micah is saying his origin is from eternity. Micah 5.2 He continues saying, He shall, speaking of Jesus, He will arise and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God. And they will remain, speaking of the flock, they will remain, because at that time He will be great to the ends of the earth. His name will be great till the to the ends of the earth, everywhere. He, he's not a savior of an isolated region in, in, in the Midwestern United States, small corner of the Western world. He's born the savior of the world. The whole world. Sometimes we, we fail to process this. We, we fail to recognize this fact. He didn't come to just save us who are gathering together in... in Port St. Lucie. He did come to save us, but not just us, not just people like us, not just people that look like us or talk like us or even speak the same language as us or dress like us. He is the Savior of the whole world. Glory be to God. The Son of God, He he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, miraculously born then of a virgin, he came in a manger. Born in a manger, offered as God's gift to the world, to the whole world. John chapter 3, verse 16, and I'll go through verse 18. Part of this is very familiar to us. It says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Pretty exclusive there. God has only ever had one begotten Son. This flies directly into the face of what we're told all the time that Jesus is just one of the first, or just one of many, or, or one style, one regular man like the rest of us. Because there's this notion out there that, that we're all sons of God. Jesus was just another son of God, and, and, and that we're all in the same fashion one way or another, made in the image of God, and you'll hear it said, we're all children of God. But we're not in the same fashion of Jesus. We didn't come in the same fashion. We are not the only Son of God. That's, that's that we're all just like Jesus or Jesus is just like everybody else. That's a common misconception among many religions. That Jesus was just one of many. Many religions, uh, some even 
professing to be Christian, Christian type religions anyhow, they, they proposed Jesus was merely the first of many sons or a special type of son. They, they suggest sometimes that Jesus came to be God's son through obedience to God and now that provides the rest of us a template of how to also please God. A pattern of living by, by which if we'll follow that pattern and, and live like Jesus did, listen closely now, this is where the error comes, that if we follow Jesus' pattern of living, if we look like him, right? If we love like him, if we, if we follow a pattern that he set, we too can please God just like he did in the same way Jesus did, and then we'll also become sons and daughters. That is rooted in many religions, folks. That Jesus came to give us a, a pattern of goodness to follow after. It's a very prominent idea in America. That Jesus came to provide humanity a template to follow for goodness, for good living. And, and our responsibility is to follow that template the best that we can. Look at scripture, see what he did, and, and try to imitate that to the best that we can. And, and where we fall short... It is supposed that God's forgiveness or, or his free grace, where we fall short, uh, he'll just kind of fill in the cracks. You know what I mean? He'll kind of cover us. I'm glad at least most people who still consider themselves Christian will admit that we've still got cracks. That we've still got problems. That we all fall short of the perfect, sinless life of Christ. I'm glad they acknowledge that God's forgiveness is necessary because we're sinners. Every single one of us. They admit that. But in, in their view of, of Christianity, to them Jesus provided a template of goodness and, and when we fall short, you know God's going to smooth it over. He's going he's to fill in the gaps. I guess he's like a divine bondo or something, you know? Just kind of smooth it over and Fill in the gaps where, you, where we're a little rough. That'll take care of it. And what emerges out of that theology is the idea that anyone who falls a little short, a sinner, someone whose life is cracked, no matter where you are around the globe, it is said, oh God, in the end, he's just going to smooth over everybody's cracks. He's just going to fill in some gaps. In fact, it's proposed by many that it doesn't really even matter your view of Jesus. It's said that as long as you're trying to live a pattern of a, of a good life, no matter where you are on the planet, if you're trying to live this pattern of a good life, God will at the end fill in your gaps. He'll cover you. And whether you follow a teaching of a Dalai Lama or a Buddha or Hare Krishna or whatever ethics code that it may be, you just do your best with that which has been revealed to you and in the end, God will just smooth over the cracks. It's like makeup, I guess. At the mall, you go, and it's just, God will just kind of paint you up where you, fit, where you have cracks. Um, that religious idea is referred to as pluralism, folks. That is patently false. Patently False. Pluralism suggests there are many men who have come and many who have gone, many who have suggested ways to please God. Uh, most world religions will come to a commonality that it's, it is 
uh, bad to murder someone and, and that it's wrong to steal from others and they, they'll kind of come to a, a common core, right? Of what's right and what's wrong and everything else around the edges. God will just fill in the gaps. So it's been proposed that even people who've never been taught about Christ or, or have rejected Christ, if they're, if, if they're uh, adhering to their own form of religion as long as they haven't killed anyone or stolen from anyone or done anything really bad, as long as they've followed th- this kind of pattern like Christ, in the end we're all going to be okay. It's not necessary to receive Christ as your personal Savior or to trust in Him. We just have to strive to do the best we can. Let God fill in the gaps. Folks, there are so many flaws with that proposal. Uh, I could go point by point and try to uh, go over every single one of them and we would be here till tomorrow evening at dinner. No. No, I'm not going to do that. I know you all want to get home. But there's one in particular we all know. Religions across the world contradict one another all the time. Even Islam, they teach that God has no son. They insist that God has no son. You can't reconcile that, folks. All the religions of the world don't come to the common core of Christ. Pluralism has so many errors, uh, we'd be here a long, long time. I'm not going to keep you that long. I want to concentrate on just one thing with Jesus. One thing. Scripture says that God sent His Son Jesus to be the Savior of the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God didn't send Jesus to save Americans. God didn't send Jesus to save the upper Midwest or good old hard-working country boys and gals in Georgia. Just people who want Jesus. God sent His Son into the world to save the world, folks. The whole world. And and the notion that we fall short, we all fall short and need fixing, that's correct. That is right. Scripture assures we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has cracks. Everybody has gaps. Everybody is rough. Doesn't matter whether you live in North Korea. Doesn't matter if you live in Australia or if we live right here in Florida. There's no difference in humanity. Everybody has sinned. Not just one time, multiple times. Repeatedly, over and over, we sin through our thoughts, words, and deeds by what we have done, by by what we have left undone. We haven't just missed the bullseye a little bit on the target. Folks, we haven't even hit the target. When you look at the perfect, sinless obedience of God's only Son, the Holy Christ, 
the culmination of our sins, our filth, it places us so far away from a holy and righteous God, so far away from God. The aggregate of our sins, it all culminates in death, even after just one sin, folks. Think about this. Adam and Eve in the garden, walking hand in hand in the cool of the day, enjoying fellowship with God. Just one sin severed them from God. They were removed from the fellowship of God, put outside of the garden. Just one. Just one. Every descendant since Adam, every single one who descended from Adam and Eve, who does that involve? Everybody. Everybody. Every descendant has followed in Adam's footsteps. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's been separated. Everyone has been separated from the love of God. Nobody walks hand in hand with God. It it doesn't matter what continent you walk on. It doesn't matter at all. We all descended from Adam. Everyone must acknowledge sins. Everyone has to acknowledge we don't walk hand in hand with God by ourselves. 1 John 1.10 says that if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. I know that you're a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. Do you think that the Chinaman is any less of a sinner? Do you you think that he or she has any less need of Christ? Of a Savior? Any less? No. No, they, they don't walk hand in hand with God either. He or she is separated from God and needs a Savior as well. So God chose to provide a remedy. A remedy to the separation that that sin has caused. Though we don't walk hand in hand with God, God became a man and he walked hand in hand with us. He came to us. He was conceived not through an act of man, but he was conceived through a powerful act of the Holy Spirit, a divine act of the Holy Spirit, and then he was born of a virgin on that first Christmas. He was born of a virgin. This conception of Christ, referred to as the incarnation of God, is the moment in time when God's holy deity was united with human flesh and humanity. Scripture says that In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form. He came in a lowly manger, the only begotten Son of God, the only one who was both God and man. He was the God-man. He was God who became man. That's why on the Christmas card, you've heard us singing here, why on that same Christmas card that I had, you're going to see one name on there that's called Emmanuel means God with us. That's why we sing about Emmanuel. It is God who came to live with us. There's never been any other like Jesus. There is no one else like Jesus. He's God's only begotten son. And then for about 30 some years, he walked among the earth. He walked among people. He showed the perfect love of God and the perfection of Christ. 
He, he lived in complete obedience, never sinned. Always obeyed all the time. A perfect, sinless, obedient life. He's pleasing to God his Father in every respect. Every respect. In him, when he walked the earth, God, God in human form, becoming a man, everybody got to see the righteousness of God. But that righteousness of Christ, it wasn't offered to us merely as a pattern to live. Not just a pattern to imitate. The perfect righteousness of God's only Son was offered as a blood sacrifice on the cross for our behalf. That he offered up his righteous life, his perfection, to be a sacrifice for us so that we might become righteousness in him. The wages we have earned for our sin, it's death. Jesus took our place of death on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins on the cross. He was our substitute. You've probably heard the the phraseology, a substitutionary atonement. He was a substitute for us, both in life and in death, in his perfection and in his suffering. He took our place. He is the perfect Christ. Scripture says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. He didn't die to, so that God could smooth over cracks. He offered himself as a complete substitute on our behalf. That's what he offers. And, and when you place your trust in Christ by demonstrating your loyalty to God's only begotten Son, your, your affection, your adoration in Christ, God then credits you with the righteousness of Christ. Not because of something great that we did or a pattern we followed, but because we honor His Son. Because we believe in His Son, God credits His Son's righteousness to us because He loves us. God sent His only beloved Son to endure God's judgment for our sins so that we can be freed from sin's penalty. Scripture assures us He who believes in Him is not judged, but He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It doesn't matter where you live on the planet. Only God's Son died for sins for everyone on the planet. Everyone needs to believe in him. There's no, there's no plan B. There is no other way. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the whole world. And that's why Christians from around the world Every continent in the world, all over, are celebrating the birth of Christ. The birth of this particular Jesus. The love of God displayed through a baby in a manger. That first Christmas morning became a gift to the whole world. God said, this is what I offer the whole world. It's the love of God, my son, Folks, that's something to celebrate. <laughs> that's something to rejoice in. Luke chapter 2, we're looking at that, we see uh, that very night, 
on which Christ was born. We're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. In, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel, an, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, before the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly it says, we're told, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts singing praises to God. Praising God, and this is what they were singing. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Isn't that great? Don't you love that song? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men. They wrote that. When the angels had had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and, and, and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby they saw as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, Luke writes, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and it says, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Folks, on the night of Jesus' birth, whole hosts of of heavenly angels were singing praises to God and singing about peace and goodwill towards men. And, And shepherds rise and they go and find Jesus and they depart celebrating the birth of Christ. Folks, don't let anybody tell you that you won't find anything about Christmas in the Bible. Celebrating Christmas. There's a celebration of the birth of our Savior. A whole choir of angels sang. And as we share gifts with one another, with our family members, with our loved ones, remembering that God sent His only Son to be born in a manger and live a life displaying God's righteousness, His perfect love, as we remember that God permitted Him to die that Jesus offered himself to die for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Every single one. Folks, if you think, or it had crossed your mind in the past, if you thought there was another way for people to be saved, why would God let his own, only beloved son be crucified on a cross? can't be any other way there is no other way why would God have allowed this to happen to 
to the Prince of Peace, to to the Bread of Life, to to the Lamb of God, to Emmanuel, uh, the Savior of the whole world, God's only begotten Son. Why would God allow that to be done to His Son if there was another way? There's no other way. That's the problem with pluralism, folks. Pluralism says that Jesus didn't really need to send his son. We could all just become good Buddhists and let God fill in the cracks. That type of theology says that God's son came and died needlessly. Because we all could have supposedly found another way. No, there's no other way, folks. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ Faith in his son for Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me, right? And at the birth of the church, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the apostle Peter declares, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The holy name of Jesus, the Lord saves God's offered, each of us here, folks, offers you today this gift. He offers the righteousness of Christ as a gift to any who will honor his son and turn from their past and and follow Christ. Don't let another Christmas pass. Don't let today pass. Accept the gift. Folks, today accept the gift and, and depart rejoicing like the shepherds. Praising God for what had been revealed to them on that first Christian morn. Because Jesus is not just another name. It's not just another name. And God's Son was not born just another Jesus. He was born the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you're so good to us. You sent your son Jesus and he came to seek and save that which was lost, Lord. That's us. And Father, as you've revealed him to us, Lord, and as it sunk into our hearts, the desperate need for a Savior, Lord, that the whole world would come to know Christ, I pray that for every single one of us here, Lord, um, that would continue to change us Lord, if anyone hasn't ever pondered this, that you would change their heart, Lord God. That you'd make them new. That you'd make them alive to Christ. And that they would live uh, every day for the rest of their lives in honor of Him. Lord, I ask the same for those of us here who are Christians. That every day, every day that we would just display the joy and the love that you've shown to us, Lord, that we would reflect that to those around us, Lord, especially this Christmas. As we have a couple days now, Lord, just to uh, be a testimony to you, be a witness to you with neighbors, those that we love on the phone, in our homes, Lord, that everywhere we go, that the words Merry Christmas would mean something 
powerful, not only to us, but to those who see us, Lord. Thank you for your son dying on the cross on our behalf, Lord. Thank you for uh, your loving kindness expressed through the cross. Lord, uh, help us to be safe and loving as we go our merry way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.